0: Namaste, and welcome to our continuing series, Savitri is the Message, with our beloved Alokmai. We are in uh, Book 7, Canto 1, The Joy of Union, The Ordeal of the Foreknowledge of Grief. And we're going to start at the very first line, because... This line is so powerful. It it speaks to, to me of all that Mother is to us and all she is doing for us. All love was hers and it's one heavenly cord bound all to all with her as golden tie. So we are now into savitri. Speaking of Savitri, and she knows that uh, Satyavan is going to die. She's well aware of this. And she has grief. But when her grief to the surface pressed too close, these things, once gracious adjuncts of her joy, seemed meaningless to her, a gleaming shell, or were a round, mechanical, and void, her body's actions shared not by her will. Always behind this strange, divided life, her spirit, like a sea of living fire, possessed her lover, and to his body clung. One locked embrace... To guard its threatened mate at night, she woke through the long through the slow, silent hours, brooding on the treasure of his bosom and face, hung o'er the sleep-bound beauty of his brow, or laid her burning cheek upon his feet, waking at morn. Her lips endlessly clung to his, unwilling ever to separate again or lose that honeyed drain of lingering joy, unwilling to loose his body from her breast the warm, inadequate signs that love must use. Intolerant of the poverty of time, her passion Catching at the fugitive hours, willed at the expense of centuries in one day of prodigal love and the surf of ecstasy. Or else she strove, even in mortal time, to build a little room for timelessness by the deep union of two human lives, her soul secluded shut into his soul. After all was given, she demanded still, even by his strong embrace unsatisfied, she longed to cry, O oh, tender Satyavan, O oh lover of my soul, give more, give more of love, while yet thou canst, to her thou lovest. Imprint thyself for every nerve to keep that thrills to thee the message of my heart. This is going to stop. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) And this is going to, and people have often asked me, um, I won't use the word shock, but the Puritan. Mind which regards spirituality as something, you know, to do only with heavenly, ethereal things. Here is a description of the most physical love that one can ever imagine. And can this too be uplifted to the heights? Now there are three, four things very beautifully in this passage, in this canto in fact. Uh, beautifully titled, The Joy of Union, The Odeal of Foreknowledge and the grief that she must face. I'll just read out the exact, yeah. The joy of union, the ordeal of the foreknowledge, of death and the heart's grief and pain. Now, this is one of the uh, most beautiful or or I would say the most challenging way to create a rasa. You know, all poetry is meant at a most poetic level to uh, create the rasa, the delight of existence. Now, here, Surabinda is in the very title mixing up two very different emotions. There is the joy of union, and there is the grief because of the heart's foreknowledge of death. So, this to start with, it's a very high starting point. And at several places, we read in Surabinda and the mother's writings that if you can hold these two opposite states together and find the way to their unity, then it's, uh, you know. She says that's one of the signs of readiness. She gives an example. For instance, in the body, heat and cold. So, one is ready to really go to the next level. Because in the, because in the divine, all these are reconciled and united. This is one part. But more importantly, the greatness of the great. It's not that they don't face difficulties and challenges. Uh, in fact, we are already told in book uh, 6 um, about the word of fate, that she must bear the... Grief of uh, human life Because she has to find the way If she is untouched by grief How will she really, you know, find the way? That's why, you know, when You will read the life of some saints So there is a tendency Which is, uh, oh, he was 17 He went to Himalayas And then he lived there for another 17 years Then he came back after doing great meditation Had a realization it's all right. <laughs> it's a specimen. <laughs> but it is no use to earth and man because you have not faced the earthly human enigma and the challenges. Someone was telling me that X so and so was or sannyasi or a sannyasini was, uh, you know, saying how you should deal with relationships. I said, hold on, this is a non starter. It's a non-starter because the person really doesn't know. It's very easy to say things that you should be like this, you should be like that. When you never really face the problems and challenges of life, which are so different, so baffling, so much in real time. So both Sri and the mother went in their life through every possible human experience. It was not that he was born in a yogic family and he went to Himalayas and I don't know why people have to go to Himalayas to start with. But you know, always and he found some cave and where there was a guru and they had an enlightenment. This is not uh, a yoga which can help life. This is a yoga for escape, which is wonderful. It's all right, But the yoga to escape life must run through life. That's what Shurabindu says in the Mother chapter 3, to
0: walk through life. And Mother... uh had a child. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. She left her child. Absolutely. Every possible Every human aspect.
1: issue they go through. Yes. Then the third aspect in this canto, which uh, you were just reading is, that what is the greatness of the great? They go through grief, eh, like everybody else. But the difference is, in ordinary humanity, breaks down under grief. It is so much, you know, it will start calling up, you know, what is my state, you know. Now, what happens? It gets augmented hundred times. Because there are two kinds of responses which human beings will give when you talk to them about your grief. Some will be secretly very happy, that see. <laughs> I am free. Some may even say, Dekha, hua na?" You know, I remember when I had Had some common cold because I spoke so vocally about, you know, about rather against the virus and vaccine. The moment I had a common cold and for just half a day I said, I want to take rest. This is news. He has corona, see? Quarantine before even. He is very happy. <laughs> see <laughs> So, this is one kind of human response. There is another kind of response, which is you are desperate. You want somebody to cling to, to clutch to, to share your burden. And there are people who, while sharing, augment it unwittingly. Because they are themselves weak. They don't know how to give strength. So, what do they do? They sympathize. And Shurabinder and the mother both have said, don't sympathize with depression. Oh dear, really, oh this is so sad, you know I am really sad, they are actually sad, it's not that they are faking it, they are so sad, you know you are going through this sadness, but what they are doing is they are adding sadness to sadness, but the true response of strength, strength says it's okay, you will be out of it, it is a passing thing, that is the response of the mighty, and the mightiest of all, the greatest of all, they carry the grief within. But they don't speak about it to the world. Because they know it's not world. But within I must find the high records. So they turn everything into yoga. See this is how the Gita, this chapter I find especially interesting. The Gita, 18 chapters, starts with the first chapter is Arjuna Vishad Yoga. He is in a state of Vishad, grief. And grief can turn into a yoga if you take the right approach. In this also, it's it's ultimately the book of yoga. And she will turn a grief into yoga. But you go through that phase. Same thing in love and death. When uh, it's very interesting, since you know we are at it. That has always touched me very deeply. That when uh, Priyambada or Pramadvara, whichever way you look at it, she dies. So what happens to Ruru? Ruru is filled with grief, and the agony of his grief, the intensity of his grief, the fire born out of grief. Is so intense that even the gods are, you know, they don't know what to do. Now they can't change the law because Mr. Death is Mr. Death. They have no say over what is taken. They can try before he has taken it. Well, Nara tells her that <laughs> yeah, also. Exactly. Nara tells all of them. So the gods ask that you know, while Rudu is one day resting, they say that you know, we are so much touched by his grief. Do something. So give him some solace. So what is the solace they give? There is a tree below which he is resting and the maruts come and there is a very gentle breeze. And the breeze is so soothing that for a moment, Ruru forgets his grief and he feels that it is Pramadvara who has touched his cheek gently. It's a masterpiece, that passage. The moment he opens his eyes and he sees the tree, the agony is so intense that the tree burns away. (laughs) That is the intensity of the agony. Then the God of love comes and says, you see, you may agonize, but uh, the gods don't respond to tears, not death subtly. They respond only to sacrifice. So it's a very interesting thing that this Vishad, she will turn into yoga. She doesn't communicate it to anyone. And that's the passage we read on 470. It starts, She was still to them the child the new and loved, the sorrowing woman they saw not within. And Survindo says a thousand wounds gape in my single heart. We just wonder what he would have experienced. But they what? don't show it to anyone. They don't show it. His own people, those around him, when he says, Hard is the world redeemer's task, the world itself becomes his adversary. His enemies are the beings he came to save. So much, Mother Survindo, you know, there are such one instance just to say that, you know. Often they would raise, and with mother, I really sometimes when I remember I weep because how they treated mother with doubts and this and that, how, what she would have felt, foreigner lady, why she has used a lipstick, why she is wearing. I mean, it's it's unimaginable that how people could be so cheap, so low, and so blind as not to see a divinity. And when Shurvindu has said so, so how she would have taken all this inside. She only gave love, she only gave smile. Just one instance when somebody went into the courtyard and he was all complaining about the mother. Even somebody tried to actually rush up to the stairs and, you know,
0: fight with her. They say it was the only time Sri Arbindo
1: raised his ah, that voice. Is, that is one instance where yes. Sri arbindo first time he said, who is shouting at the mother? Yes. And there was a lull, silence. Yes. And then the other place went and even then they didn't turn him away. That man went away on his own because, you know, <laughs> Kali must have started dancing on his head as Mother has said. <laughs> and this is another instance where somebody started coming up the stairs to push Mother. And Mother is standing there and as he came, suddenly he fell down. And Mother says, it was that force which came from her. But Mother just called Purani. He was, you know, wrestler right there. So otherwise, what they must have faced, but what they gave outside, all smile and love and love and love so this is the description of that love which she embodied no change was in her beautiful motion scene the most terrible moment for the divine mother was when shurbindo physically withdrew she says that for for 12 days the mother didn't come out and she was all into that to leave because somebody has to root her to earth there's nobody to root her to earth that Infinite consciousness. We can't imagine. Someone has to root her to earth. There was nobody. Of course, we hear about later on about Dada and calling her, come mother, come. So she says that that's why I would come come back. Otherwise, nobody to root her to earth. And she wanted to just go. And then she says, when I saw the sorrow of my children. So she comes back. And people describe on the twelfth day, she suddenly was there. She gave a darshan. And there was special message card distributed to everybody. And each one it was slightly different. There was a painting or something and then special blessing. And people saw her smile and forgot everything. She wouldn't have felt sorrow. She describes it when you read sometimes in conversation what she went through. Even there were people who wrote to her, I want to take out take the property because it's mine. I am Surbindo's relative. Next of kin. And all that the mother has to say, tell him to come and take it. <laughs> with the disciples and see what happens so this is the beauty this is a tremendous passage revealing what greatness is greatness is not who doesn't experience grief but greatness is that which turns grief into something great and lets the grief inside while giving joy to the world a worshipped empress all once white to serve she is not yet a yogini outwardly but all the material of the divine Raj Rajeshwari but Becoming the diligent serf of all. Uh, Nalnita describes this, uh, that when mother came to India for the first time, she, and she went to Karaikal. So she was staying in a dark and dingy room, which was full of white ants. Now, even when she came here, Sri managed to get one bulb fixed <laughs> because after all, Divine Mother is coming. They were all with kerosene lamps. And Amrita says, suddenly we were surprised. There is a bulb here. There is a bulb here. <laughs> different places. But how she would have lived? That life was so different from the life in France. So she says, no change was in her beautiful motion scene. A worshipped empress, all once white to serve. She is a princess. She made herself the diligent Serve of all. That's how she taught the disciples here. When they came, they all used to sit on a chair just with Shorabindu, thinking they are having some great discussions. And the mother came and she sat on the floor. So they felt at his, awkward. At
0: his feet. <laughs> at his feet. They
1: felt very awkward. They started sitting on the floor. Then they saw that, you know, she is cleaning the floor and everything. Then they learned that, okay, instead of depending on the servants, let us do this. So she taught even how to sit. There is an interesting incident where somebody sat in front of Shirbindo with his feet, like this, crossed as if somebody is, you know, and she had to admonish. And people speak about her being French. If ever there is an Indian who has the heart and soul, that's what she said in a reminiscence. I am a French by birth and early education. I am an Indian by my soul and temperament or predilection. She is an Indian that way. She taught the ways. This is the Indian way. Not this that you know. You sit in front of the Guru and say, questioning him. She even told when people used to question, she said uh, how she learnt. She was taught that when the master says something, you don't question it. And she learnt it when she was with Theo So... Theo said something, it is green. I am forgetting exactly. So mother said, but it is blue. And this was a way to learn. So Madam Theo tells her, when the master says something, you don't contradict. And she immediately understood. She quotes this story. When the master says it's green, it is green. You don't have the eyes to understand or see. So these were the lessons she taught. That's why she would talk about obedience to the master, all this. Because when this is a basic lesson, Yusuf, that story of initiation, that when the master says something, so she had learned. She was like amazing to give herself completely to the divine. And then all the work in the ashram she taught, she walked away. Not just taught the way. (laughs) So here there is a description of all. Nor spared the labour of broom and jar and well, or close gentle tending or to heap the fire of altar and kitchen. No slight task allowed to others that her woman's strength might do. This is the Divine Mother leading by example. In all her acts a strange divinity shown. Into a simplest movement, she could bring a oneness with Earth's growing robe of light, a lifting up of common acts by love. This is such a marvelous line. What makes an act exceptional? It is not that it is something very big, you are running an empire, so it is exceptional. It is when it is done as an act of love. Commonest acts. That's why she would say, Champakalaji, how he was trained. Don't push the table or chair. Lift it. Communist acts. How to keep the, you know, cup. Because it's a very common act. Even flowers, how to catch them, how to give them. Lifting up of communist acts by love. And then those two lines she read, All love was hers. And it's one heavenly cord bound all to all with her as golden tie. This is the divine element. Sri Aurobindo says always the avatar is a double element. The human and the divine. The divine is behind and the human is in front and slowly that divine manifestation takes place through all the human uh, you know, issues that one faces. So the grief is there. She has also become human. So then time to time when she would experience the grief and she is with Satyavan. And then there is such a wonderful, perfect identification with human love. That's why she could say when someone asked her, Uh, what should we do when love is born in our heart? He said, do not stifle it, purify it, refine it. This has been told to me by a person who actually whom the mother had said, do not stifle it, purify it and refine it. And that's what we see in Savitri. Love is man's lean on the absolute. To live to love are sign of infinite things. So here, her human love, but, when her grief to the surface pressed too close, these things once gracious adjuncts of a joy, seemed meaningless to her- a gleaming shell she is still doing them- the broom, the jar, and the well. But suddenly she goes into a state of verachia, meaningless, or very round, mechanical, and void, her body's actions shared not by her will always behind this strange divided life, her spirit like a sea of living fire, possessed her lover and to his body clung. So love seeks union and Sri says two things it seeks in union. Intensity of union and eternity of union. Intensity is possible, but how to make it eternity? So he says that's why human love always remains something missing in it. Unless, the only way people sometimes are hard to keep the intensity by uniting with the eternal. There is no other way. So when you unite with the eternal and let the eternal love in you, through you and go to the eternal, that's what she says that there is only one love. It comes from the supreme, goes to the supreme and one has to be very strong and wide to hold this mighty vibration. So when one is conscious, it's coming from the divine, going to the divine, then that's the only scenario. Otherwise, intensity after some time, human beings cannot give. Then they start calculating. "Mujhe kya mila, whatever I got in return. And then the ego starts playing. The desires come in and it finishes. So, intensity and eternity. So, that is the... Now, she is trying that. One locked embrace to God is threatened mate. She is still thinking, death will come. How I can save him from death? At night, she woke through the slow, silent hours brooding on the treasure of his bosom and face. This is the completeness of love. So love is not just all inside and high up. It is a complete package. Life is a complete package. You can't cut it off that it's there and not here. So that's the beauty which is being revealed to us. So he's looking at his face. Look at the description. You know, it's something so amazing that at night he's sleeping, she's awake... Looking at his face and the bosom, hung over the sleep-bound beauty of his brow, or laid a burning cheek upon his feet. satyavani is sleeping, <laughs> she's awake. You know these I, I feel so happy reading them because these were the descriptions I read in Ramayana and the Mahabharata. It is only now Shirbinndo has brought back that force. And if somebody is with an unchaste mind or with a divided mind that spirituality is otherworldly, cannot understand what it is that for Draupadi's humiliation, she Krishna says an empire must collapse. If you look at it purely from the otherworldly point of view, what is there? What is humiliation? It's okay. She should have also taken, she should have understood this is the nature of the world. <laughs> and why Krishna as a god has gone on to destroy a whole he should have also said, it's okay Drabdi, life is like that. You have to just accept these things. But no, that day, the Kuru Empire's fate was sealed. This is that dream dialogue, no, of Sri with Nirodha. Where Nirodha says, I don't understand your ways. Why Drabdi had to be disrobed? And Sri says, I've been trying to put some logic into your pit. <laughs> and then he says, you see... That was the moment when finally the balance was tilted against the Kuru clan. One moment and his fate is sealed. So, when we look at life that way in its totality, and Shurvindu says that when he describes the Rishis, he says the Rishis were passionate and courageous. They were not the way we show them sitting like this and always, you know, closing eyes with a little dand and saying, okay, bacha. No, they were warriors, they were discoverers, they were inventors, they governed kingdoms. All this the Rishis did. When Raja Harishchandra walks away and tells Vishwamitra, govern the kingdom, Vishwamitra didn't say that I can't I am a Rishi, he governs the kingdom. All this they could do. They were married, they had children. So this idea of must go from the Indian psyche. That's why you know there is a need to emphasize that you know only that inner life going otherworldliness. So here we see this perfect description. Waking at morn, her lips endlessly clung to his, unwilling ever to separate again or lose that honeyed drain of lingering joy. What a marvel of a line this is. Honeyed drain of lingering joy. The joy. And he says these are the warm, inadequate signs. Love seeks much more. But this is the only imperfect way. Unwilling to lose his body from her breast. The warm, inadequate signs that love must use. Nowhere you feel anything in this which is ugly or crude. It's so beautiful. She loves him and doesn't want him to die. And look, you know, how that love expresses itself through the human body. Now the difference is, which we'll see a little later. Body loving for the sake of vital pleasure and the vital of person is one thing. The soul expressing itself through the body, the need for union is a different thing. It's the same thing outwardly. One is the body, loving the body. When a body is attracted to the body of a woman or a man, Shubhindo describes this in uh, Isha Vash Upanishad. He says, if sensual gratification were all, he describes the stages of love, where some corpuscles in your body are drawn to another, he says that's a very... Animal kind of love He says once even I loved Not he but the guru says And he says that once even I Felt this is love But this is not enough Then if emotions feel drawn This is one step higher But that's not enough Then there is a love where There is an intellectual camaraderie You want to share thoughts You want to share your you know, higher things That's another kind of love But He says there is a still greater kind of love And it need not be both ways He says, from an infinite intellect, it flows down and gives itself. And he says, say not that such a love doesn't exist. And he gives example of Ruru, not Ruru and Pramadvara, Ruru. Because it's not a two-way love. Pramadvara is so lucky, that's all one can say. (laughs) Ruru. And then he speaks about, of course, Savitri, not Satyavan. Savitri is embodying. Satyavan is again very lucky, very fortunate. Humanly, if one says Rama and Sita, that is the ideal of love. Intolerant of the poverty of time, her passions catching at the fugitive hours will the expense of centuries in one day of prodigal love and the surf of ecstasy. If there is less time, then intensify the concentration. This anyway is the logic of everything. Even for work, if you have less time, Intensify the concentration. So you compress time. That's only here. So even in love, he is describing it. Or else, she strove, even in mortal time, to build a little room for timelessness. How do you build a room for timelessness? When you touch something which is timeless, which comes from the eternal. And that is the psychic door. In love, if that is thus there is a very interesting letter, Eleanor Montgomery. So, the letter is not published, the full letter, but uh, part of the reply is published. Where she says that, you know, I was uh, in a state of, you know, uh, well, making love and I suddenly experienced the self. Is it true? How can it be? And then this is confirmed by the mother. Yes, it is. And very interestingly, the mother confirms that your experience is true and then shribindu says why so it's very interesting he says yes as the mother confirmed your experience to be true it is because you were in a state of utter self giving in that state of utter self giving where she was just invoking the divine presence utter self giving not for any personal pleasure she had that experience so what possibilities are there of course please uh, don't take it as like this is the path and the royal road the path will come later from can to two But at the same time, we must understand that everything in human life has to be lifted up, refined, purified and lifted to divine heights. That's what is being conveyed to us. To build a little room for timelessness by the deep union of two human lives, her soul secluded, shut into his soul. Soul union is like that. There is no time there. It may be a moment, but that moment is eternal. After all was given, she demanded still. Love is like that. <laughs> so, love is a fire and this this there is a corresponding line to this. After all was given, she demanded still. In book one, uh, canto two, where he describes love came to her hiding, hiding the, shadow the shadow of death. There she, this is a whole description of um, Savitri's being. And then she says, uh, in her the great unsatisfied Godhead here could dwell. dwell, Freed of the imprisoning dwarf self like that. Dwarf
0: imprisoned air. Yes.
1: Here, the great unsatisfied Godhead here could dwell. And then she says that burning test of the Godhead in her parts. Because she is wide and strong. So she could harbor love. The power of love. And that's why it is so vast so, when it demands, it demands also completeness. It's not satisfied with, you know, littleness and it's okay. That's why frivolous uh, things, flirtatious things, they are just the opposite of love.
0: This is love, which and is, you know… He concludes that line hmm. so beautifully. In her, he met his own eternity. Eternity, that's right.
1: So, this is just the opposite of what ordinarily passes that, you know… One day, the typical flirtatious, frivolous love where, you know, I love you and then after some time. It's not at all about that. It's about the deep, unchanging soul of love, as one place he says, and the place, the deep possibility always to love. I have seen my glad eternity in the body of Satyavan. The divine has come to me wearing his mask. This is amazing. Even the human love, what height Shura has taken it. So she longed to cry, even by his strong embrace, unsatisfied, she longed to cry. Why? Because time is so short. Every day, every moment is a leaf tone. Oh, tender Satyavan! It is very amazing how Shobindu combines things so uh, sweetly. Strong embrace combined with Oh, tender Satyavan. You know, I find these combinations amazing. Strong embrace, but O tender Satyavan O lover of my soul, give more, give more of love while yet thou canst to her thou lovest. She's not asking for anything wrong, anything amiss. Imprint thyself for every nerve to keep that thrills to thee the message of my heart. So, this is the message where she wants love's message. To be imprinted on every nerve, every cell, every pore, every aspect, every corner, every atom of one's existence—that's what love is.
0: Imprint. Shall I read some more? We we'll go on a little.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, next
0: four lines are uh, yes. For soon we part, and who shall know how long before the great wheel in its monstrous round restore us to each other? and our love so she she
1: wants to make the to lift each moment to the utmost possibility that is possible there she wants to turn each moment into the eternal this is what is meant by well the eternal now every moment is done with that perfection that uplifting that completeness that totality that intensity that purity all these together to be lifted up. You see, when this, uh, in ancient times, this ideal of sati and you know how much it got uh, degraded now, lesser said the better. But that was the kind of love these women embodied within themselves. What one pointed, immaculate love. And they had a power to even turn gods into babes. And the mother, when she saw the story of sati Anusuya, and they had children, so they had obviously physical love and everything. And then the gods want to take on the challenge. How can human love be greater than the love of the gods? Because Narada is there to, you know, incite a little spark. And they come to test. They send their husbands to test her. And they come and tell her, you know, we want to. So, this is a very interesting story. They say that you make us eat food. So she says, okay. But the condition is that you have to take off all your clothes, make us sit on your lap and feed you. Now in this story, the amazing part is, it's not the physical act but the state of consciousness. Not only that, one place writes, chastity is of the mind much more than of the body. And another place, uh, somewhere Shurabhin, they said, if you look into the mental atmosphere of human beings, you will hardly find anywhere, you know, all these People equate um, celibacy with chastity. It's not true. It is of the mind, where the mind is so clear. So she says, all right, come. I'll just come, change myself and come. You guys come, and when they come, she turns them into babies, makes them sit in their lap, feeds them, tells them to go and sleep. They are sleeping. And the little, after some time, the ladies are worried out there, and they come and look for her, for their husband's. What happened to them? She says, they are sleeping inside. Identify and take them. (laughs) So when mother recounts this story, she was very happy to watch this film. And she tells them, it is so true. It is only human beings who can love like this. And then she says, because they carry within them the psychic being, which is much more. It can have a direct union with the Supreme, which gods cannot have gods cannot love like this you see all the gods coming down and having love they after some time they just uh, don't care and they just leave away but human beings have this possibility so we see this that and this psychic being because in the confronting death on the roots of time actually if you look at it this secret sense of immortality search for immortality actually grows what is the search for immortality but the search for the soul So if we look at this way, both death and love conspire towards one great end. Death is man's spur to discover the immortal self. And love is man's spur to unite this immortal self with the source from where it has come. So these lines which you read, For soon we part and who shall know how long Before the great wheel in its monstrous round Restore us to each other and our love. Mother and Shubhendu's life we see, so many lives in different ways and it's amazing. Uh, one of the lives where, how they've gone through all the um, closenesses and the separations, that's why they're coming together on 24th April 1920. The mother said, it's a, tangible sign of the decisive victory over the adverse forces. One was, the war stopped <laughs> adverse forces. But then one may say the war started again. But it is a tangible sign because the separation has been too far and too long. All the avatars came with their counterparts. They could never unite. Rama and Sita separated. Came so close to union and yet separated. Radha and Krishna, separated. Buddha, nobody even knows. Christ, no, don't talk about Magdalene. Don't talk about, you know, if he ever had. Why? Because you are not supposed to. <laughs> and if you see all the avatars, it is only with Shurabinda and the mother that the first time, because she is the Shakti. And unless they come together, that means the two poles of creation. She has gone, Bride of Brahman, all the way into the dense darkness. Inconscient. They are coming together means finally, that power which had gone into the inconscient has finally come out and unites with the Lord. And that's what is the symbol we see of the Ashram school. The effective manifestation of the union of Ishwara and Ishwari. So that's where she says, restore. Few lines more, then we can stop.
0: Too, Too well, ah, please read. Yeah, be Too well she loved to speak a fateful word and lay her burden on his happy head. She pressed the outsurging grief back into her breast to dwell within, silent, unhelped, alone, Satyavan sometimes half understood or felt at least with the uncertain answer of our thought-blinded hearts, the unuttered need, the unplumbed abyss of her deep passionate want. All of his speeding days that he could spare, From labor in the forest, hewing wood, and hunting food in the wild sylvan glades, and service to his father's sightless life, he gave to her, and helped to increase the hours by the nearness of his presence and his clasp, and lavish softness of heart-seeking words, and the close beating felt of heart on heart. This is the future model. Sri has already said that Satyavan
1: is helping Savitri when he comes home. (laughs) You see? So that they are close together and their harmony grows. See, this is one of the reasons why there is so much disruption. Man has a place there. See the division. And woman has a place here. Now when he comes back, he wants to prolong the nearness. So he tries to help her in all the errands. But there is something very beautiful just coming. All was too little for a bottomless need. If in his presence she forgot a while, grief filled his absence with its aching touch. She saw the desert of her coming days, imaged in every solitary hours. And what follows now is just amazing. So in India... This was there that, you know, I can, out of the intensity of love, I can die with him. And, you know, even climb the funeral pyre. What is there? This, we go together. That was the whole idea. And she's feeling this. She is feeling this. But why she denies it? That is the beauty. Although with a vain imaginary bliss of fiery union through death's door of escape. Again, Shubhita says it's a vain and imaginary bliss. But she imagines that maybe, you know, we could go together. She dreamed of her body robed in funeral flame. Who can write like this? Robed in funeral flame. She knew she must not clutch that happiness. So this idea that, you know, oh, this is such a dastardly, this is when you don't understand the background of a culture. Here, she is taking it as a happiness. But she would not. Why? Because... She knew she must not clutch that happiness to die with him and follow, seizing his robe across our other countries, travelers glad into the street or terrible beyond. For those sad parents still would need her here to help the empty remnant of their day. What would Satyavan want? Would he not prefer that my parents should be looked after when he is not gone? And look at the beauty when Savitri at least in the way Sri has presented it here in this epic. When death is very much impressed that you know, she is coming and he tries to dissuade her. At the end he says, okay, you ask some boon. Savitri doesn't put it like, you know, give him sight and all. He says, okay, give me all that Satyavan once desired while he was alive. What a wonderful way. And everything where he shows, where he had been, things that he had touched—it is amazing. The the what is this? There is—is is there anything like ras? I always thought it's shingaras, but look at what preem—that love which he has lifted to this, <laughs> what heights, you know. So she she refuses that, and then comes the real sense of her grief. Often it seemed to her the age's pain had pressed their quintessence into her single woe, concentrating in her a tortured world. Because she is the world redeemer. She is not a saint, ordinary saint, let me put it like that. Nor a sage who comes to give a path and then this thing. She is not even a justice seer who tells the future. But she is the one who is the world redeemer. She must bear the grief and find the remedy at the roots. She is not like the doctor who has never faced an illness and so sees you from afar and says, this is the prescription, take and go. She has gone through all this and therefore she understands what it means and what is to be done. Thus in the silent chamber of her soul, cloistering her love to live with secret grief, she dwelt like a dumb priest with hidden gods and appeased by the wordless offering of her days. Lifting to them her sorrow like frankincense, her life the altar, herself the sacrifice. What marvelous line. Her life the altar, herself the sacrifice. And all these gods are unappeased. They are not coming and saying, Okay, Savitri, tell me about your woe. We'll do something about it. In her own being, she has to find her high records. This is the message which Srivastava says, If you want to change fate, Lift not to heavens, she alone can save. And where does she dwell within the heart of man? Seek her here, engage in yoga, and then you can change destiny. This is so beautiful. I just maybe get overwhelmed
0: (laughs) with this immense, intense love. Namaste.